listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, or apparently public scripture readers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I ran across this great way to illustrate the power of our words several years ago. You, uh, you take a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it out on a plate and then you say, now try and get the toothpaste back in the tube. And it's the same way with our words. Once you say them, they're there. You can't unsay them. And at our last church, I thought this would be a great illustration to use in our kids' message time. So uh, I, I got all this stuff together, and uh, I set this up, and uh, realizing that this could generate some interest and excitement, I said, I will give $20 to whoever can get the toothpaste back in the tube. So I, I did plan ahead. I spread the kids out. They each had like a big paper plate, but uh, I think the offer of the money generated more excitement than I had anticipated and more mess. Uh, does anybody know what happens when whitening toothpaste gets on green sanctuary carpet? <laughs> it bleaches it. And uh, now everyone at our old church knows that too. Because every time I went in the sanctuary for the next decade, I saw that stain on the carpet. Uh, and in fact, it <laughs> was somewhat amusing, a little embarrassing to read recently in our old church newsletter that they've started a carpet replacement fund. <laughs> Because our words have power. And we shouldn't be surprised at that because our God is the God who speaks. We're made in the image of the God who created everything there is by his word. God spoke through his prophets and apostles to guide his people. God spoke by his spirit to inspire the Bible, the written word. God sent his son Jesus, the living word, to guide us into truth and grace and life. God's words to us are good. But it's not always the way with our words, is it? We snipe at people at work. We use casual put-downs. We 
can speak harshly to our kids. We grumble about our parents. We gossip about people at school. Sarcasm. Sarcasm? That's not how you say that. <laughs> we use sarcastic put-downs and, and, and ugly language. We gossip, we lie. You know, on the playground, we used to sing, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, names will never hurt me. And even as a kid, I knew it was a lie. Because the hurtful words that we've said or experienced, the pain can last more deeply, last longer than any physical injury. James tells us that what we say is one of the most profound insights into who we really are and what's going on in our hearts, and yet no one can tame the tongue. So we really need to hear what God has to say to us through James. And here's the key idea of this passage that we're looking at. Weigh your words wisely. Weigh your words wisely. Take them seriously. Consider the impact. See the importance of what you say and what it says about you. Now, this is not a new idea for James. I mean, we've heard this before. James, remember, introduces in the beginning of his letter the things he's going to develop more deeply. Back in chapter 1, he told us to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. He reminded us that we should speak as people who will be judged by God's royal law of love. And then he told us, showed us the hypocrisy of speaking a word of blessing into people's lives without actually doing anything to be a blessing. And now here in this section in chapter 3, James is going to go in depth into this issue of our speech, our words, and the significance that they have. Just a quick review, James, again, is um, almost likely this half-brother of Jesus uh, mentioned in the Bible. He was an early leader of the church in Jerusalem among Jesus' first followers, and he's probably writing about 10, 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection to a scattered community of Jewish followers of Jesus the Messiah. And he's writing to them and to us to help us know how to live wisely. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles, open your sermon journals to James chapter 3. And the first thing that James tells us is we need to weigh the responsibility of our words wisely. Weigh the responsibility of our words. Did you hear that in verse 1? Not many of you should become teachers because we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And we all stumble in many ways. I, I do appreciate the irony of preaching on this passage from a literal platform. One commentator shared this. Teachers are especially vulnerable to failures in speech because they speak more often in public before a captive audience. And that provides a temptation to arrogance and domination, to anger and pettiness at being contradicted, to meanness towards opponents, and to flattery for the sake of vainglory. And it's all the more serious in church where teachers are expected to be models of godliness and virtue. Teachers have influence. Teachers have an impact. Being a teacher means that we are putting ourselves in a position to instruct others in the way that they should live. 
And beyond any official title or position, whether you're called teacher, this applies to anyone who puts themselves in a position to instruct, anyone who shares their position to make an influence and direct other people's lives. So parents are teachers. Social media has made us all teachers. Our culture encourages us to share our opinions, to tell people what we think is right, to tell them what's wrong, to tell them how they should live. All of us have been given a platform and a megaphone. Think how often do we instruct other people in what is good, in what they should do, in, in how they should lead their lives? How often do we criticize people for failing to do what we think is right, what we think is good. James says, weigh the responsibility of your words. Because putting ourselves in the position of teacher makes us liable to stricter judgment. We're going to be held to account for everything that we have told other people they ought to do. And Jesus shares a similar sobering thought. In Matthew chapter 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they have spoken. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Because see, a teacher is obligated to live up to whatever it is we've told other people we think they ought to do. And none of us do because we all stumble. His point is, remember that you are subject to greater judgment when you put yourself in a position to teach others. And because we all sin in many ways, that should make us slow to speak and quick to listen. Weigh the responsibility of your words wisely, James says. And then, weigh the power of your words wisely. He goes on in, in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses to direct them, and, and we use rudders to guide ships where we want them to go, and the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. I mean, do you hear James' point here? If you can control what you say, it's a sign that you are in control of your life, right? But because we all stumble in many ways, that should motivate us to weigh the power of our words. The power that our words have to direct our lives. Because just like a small bit will direct a horse and a rudder, it can guide an aircraft carrier or a 5,000-person cruise ship, so our tongues have the power to direct the course of our lives. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, though, he is a perfect person, able to bridle his whole body. If you're able to be in control of your tongue, you can guide it in good directions. Uh, perfect here doesn't mean sinless. It, it means mature, complete, everything that we ought to be. You see, our, our words have capacity, have power to be directed towards good. Think of the positive, encouraging, life-giving words that people have spoken into your heart. Or, or times that God has used you to speak a word of blessing and encouragement into others. Proverbs says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb 
sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You have amazing power because your words are powerful. But as you probably noticed, James' perspective on our speech is not generally positive. We don't have time to really explore all of these images. I encourage you to do that on your own. But, but look here at the end of verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. The spot may be only a little one, but it can ruin everything. I love this plaid shirt that I chose to wear today, but I tend to be a little absent-minded, and I forgot a blue pen in the pocket, and it went through the wash and stained the shirt, and my wife Amelia has graciously helped me try to get the stain out, but it's still there. And every time I put this shirt on, I see the stain, and now you do too. <laughs> Which is kind of James' point right? Our words can be gracious and kind and encouraging and positive, but one callous comment, a, a sarcastic remark, a rude interruption, uh, uh, an outburst of impatience and anger, and the stain lasts. And James is saying it's, it's not just a little thing. All of us know the destruction that our words can cause. And all of us know the pain and the hurt that others' words have spoken into our lives. Some of us have never gotten over painful words that we've heard. Because the toothpaste doesn't go back in the tube. Even worse than staining us, James says, the, the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness, setting on fire the entire course of life. All it takes is a, a spark, a sharp word, a, a, a cutting comment, a callous aside, and it can lead to destruction. It, and it doesn't stay contained, right? Look back up at the end of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Angry words spill out, and, and it draws other people in, and, and it, the conflict expands, and it can destroy families and friendships and teams and churches and communities. I mean, isn't that what's going on in our country? Angry condemnation and judgment and self-righteous criticism tears people apart and it just keeps spreading and spreading. We just live in this culture that celebrates kind of speaking our mind with no filters. Gossip and slander and deceit and self-righteous put-downs and hostility. Dallas Willard says we live in a culture of rejection. Poisons our politics. It, it tears apart our social fabric. And ultimately, in verse 6, setting on fire the entire course of our lives and set on fire by hell. This is serious, James says. Your words matter, they're powerful. And if you think about it, a fire that has no fuel eventually goes out, right? But what happens when we're hurt? We, we want to hurt back. When someone's rude to us, we want to be rude back to them. But 
We end up throwing gas on the flames. What if we chose not to do that? What if we chose to starve the fire? If there's a problem, if there's a legitimate concern, if there's something that's wrong, go to that person instead of talking about that person. That's generally what God tells us to do. Yeah, we can debate, we can disagree, we can call out sin, but there's no, there's no need to be jerks for Jesus, right? Going out, looking for things to be angry about. We, oh, I'm speaking the truth, but, but if you're doing it in a wounding, hurtful, cutting way, if, if you are indifferent to the power of your words, James says, you are in danger. Weigh the power of your words wisely. And then weigh the reality behind your words. Weigh the reality behind your words. Look in verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, but no one can tame the tongue. I mean, it's amazing if you think about it, right? I mean, we can train lions and and whales and elephants. I mean, just about every animal imaginable, except house cats for some reason. (laughs) They train us. But no one can tame the tongue, James said. Why? Because it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, it's the image of of like a, a poisonous snake weaving back and forth, ready to strike with deadly impact. If you had a cobra or an adder, you're not just gonna like casually throw it in your purse or your backpack or your tool bucket. You don't just toss it in the back seat of your car. You don't just walk around with it in your pocket. You'd, you'd be super careful, right? Like everyone stay back. This thing is dangerous. Don't get too close. It would change the way you went through your day if you saw the danger. Maybe we don't treat our tongues with more care because we think we have them under control. How's that working out for us? With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come cursing and blessing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Now, cursing doesn't just mean using four-letter words, right? I mean, we all know how you can speak in a calm tone of voice and be sarcastic and hurtful. We all, know how we, can, we all know how we can get really bad feedback and scare the snot out of people. <laughs> we all know how we can you know, speak in a calm, level tone of voice and just cut someone off at the knees. We all know how we can curse people with sarcasm. We're, we're all aware that we can curse people with hand gestures and body language and even car horns. It's about the intent. It's about the meaning behind the communication. And James wants us to see the inconsistency. We call God our Lord and our Father while we're cursing people that God has made. I mean, James is saying, look, to call him Lord means we obey him. To call him Father means we see others as part of our family whom we're called to love. And despite our good advice, despite our best intentions, despite dropping money in the swear jar, We can't seem to get our tongues under control because the problem is deeper than our mouths. Does a spring 
pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Verse 11, 12, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's the reality, James says. Our words display what is in our hearts. Our words display what is in our hearts. Freshwater springs don't produce salt water. Grapevines don't produce figs. And beautiful, peace-filled, loving hearts don't generate hateful, angry, sinful, destructive, condemning words. Weigh the reality behind your words. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 6. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good, and the evil person brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you squeeze a wet sponge, what comes out? I mean, water, maybe, whatever it has been soaking in. That's what comes out of the sponge. Our hearts are like sponges. When we are squeezed, what comes out is what we have filled our hearts with. So when we are squeezed, what comes out? Grace, kindness, encouragement, bitterness, anger, cursing, gratitude, self-pity, our hearts are revealed by what we say. And it's so easy for us to fill our hearts with the garbage of social media and cable news and sports channels and talk radio and demeaning music and mindless entertainment. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? If the majority of what we put in our hearts is foolishness, though, what's going to come out of our mouths? See, that's why we encourage everyone to come together regularly in worship, to, to pray, to sing, to hear God's word together, to, to pursue private practices of devotion, to, to pray and to study God's word, to get in community with one another because we need to worship and we need to grow and to let our hearts be shaped so that out of the overflow of our hearts, we could speak Worship and blessing and joy and love and encouragement and life. What if we made an intentional effort to turn down the volume of the garbage and turn up the volume of Jesus' words to us? To turn up the volume of things that are praiseworthy and noble and true and admirable and lovely and good so that that became more what flowed out of our hearts. All of us are guilty. <laughs> Me, first of all. So we need to hear God's word to sinful, broken people because God gets the last word. And his word is one of redemption and forgiveness and healing and transformation. His word to us is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have all been wounded and hurt and devalued by people's words. And God tells us a word of our true worth and our value in his eyes. All of us have condemned others in our thoughts and in our speech. 
But God sends his son into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. All of us lie, all of us deceive, all of us shade the truth, all of us tell a better story about ourselves than the reality. But Jesus is the truth. And he comes to lead us in the truth to find grace and life and to tell us the truth that we need. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Christ has become for us our wisdom and our righteousness. He's reminding us that on the cross, Jesus became our substitute. He, the sinless one, took on himself all of our sinful words and the sinful attitudes out of our hearts that produce him, not only to forgive us, not only to reconcile us to God and to one another, but to change us. And now his righteousness, his right words are imputed, are credited to us. James reminds us that it is Jesus who saves sinners by his word of truth. And we receive not just forgiveness, but heart change, transformation, so that we now could become people who hear God's gracious, life-giving words to us, and then they flow out of us. They overflow out of us so that when we are squeezed, what comes out is God's grace and goodness and beauty and love and joy and life. And then we become people who want to point others to see the beauty of Jesus' words and to experience them from us. So that as we walk more and more with Jesus and his word dwells in us, that people hear different words from us, that our voices sound different. There's an accent of life and love and joy and hope. Weighing our words wisely, yes, it involves restraining our tongues, but it also means directing them in a new way, in a good way. Sanctification, that's a big theological term that just basically means growing to look more and more like Jesus, more like what God intends us to be. Always has this double dimension of taking off and putting on, of restraining ugly, harmful, hateful speech and putting on life-giving, affirming, encouraging, hopeful speech. Silence and speech together in the right way are marks of the wise, the mature, the perfect, those who are being completed in Jesus Christ. Mastery of our words is a sign of maturity. And in Christ, we are not yet perfected, but we are genuinely saved and genuinely delivered so that God now works in his heart, in our hearts, by his word to shape us. And then people could actually hear Jesus as we speak to them. Oh, may the Lord help us to weigh our words wisely. Let's pray. Jesus, this is uh, it's a convicting word for me as a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend, a son, but it's a hopeful word, ultimately, because you get the last word to us. Thank you, Jesus, that the last word to us is not the harmful things that we have heard or 
the hateful things that we have said, but your word to us, your words of life and hope and forgiveness and grace that is greater than our sin. Oh, Jesus, our hearts need that word. Help us to hear and follow that word that you speak to us and where you take us, that we would take words of life and joy that you have poured into our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.